Welcome, friends. I'm Gwenda Selm, and I'm so glad you've joined us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways they can understand and put into practice. Our teacher, Dave DeSelm, was the founding senior pastor of Fellowship Missionary Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he served for nearly 35 years. Currently, Dave is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, a nonprofit offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as weekly blogs and devotionals, individual and group coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, in the teaching you're about to hear from his series on the prophet Elijah, Pastor Dave will frequently be referring to a map he used to orient his audience to the storyline. If you'd like to follow along, we've made a copy of that map available in the show notes for this episode. Just go to davedeselmministries.org slash podcast slash 003. Now let's join Pastor Dave as he recaps the story of Elijah so far and explores what seems to be a completely illogical next step for this man of God. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we? And open them up to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings yet again. 1 Kings 17 begins in that uh, simple verse, that first one, which sets the stage for all else that follows. Looking at it again, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except of my word. This guy appears out of nowhere, no introduction. He asks for an audience with the evil king, is granted one, and drops his bombshell. Ain't going to rain no more, no more. It ain't going to rain no more. By way of math, and we'll be using this throughout our time here, Tishbe is over there to the east side of the Jordan, and he makes his way to Samaria, the capital. And uh, that's where the first moment uh, of encounter takes place. Notice there's no response from Ahab. No dialogue is recorded. My guess is he was just flabbergasted that anybody would have the unmitigated gall is to challenge him. I think that Elijah would have welcomed that challenge. Let's get it on. But that's not what happens. Remarkably, God then takes his man away. We take a look at what it says in verses 2 and following. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook as I, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. What I want you to see by way of the map is where he headed next. Notice Tishbe to Samaria. Now he's going down to the Kareth Ravine. He's headed down there. We've been in that. Gwen and I actually were in that area when we were in Israel seven years ago. It's about as desolate as you can imagine. There's just a bunch of nothing there. But here's where Elijah was. What's interesting is he was there for two years. So if you're a Bible marker, you may want to write in your Bible between verses 1 and verse 6. This is two years that took place. The word kareth, interestingly, means to be cut off and to be cut down. And it was here that God did a remarkable work in this man. You see, kareth was not only a hiding place from Ahab, and we know that Ahab was looking for him from chapter 18, verse 10. He sent hitmen out for him. So he was hidden 
from Ahab, but at Kareth also he was honed by God. Kareth became not only a refuge, but a refinery. It was here, as we discussed last week, he experienced the wonder of God's presence. There was no other voice for two years, and he became highly attuned to God's voice. Second, he realized the meaning of total dependence. There was no food there, and the ravens brought him morning and evening bread and meat to provide for him. And finally, he faced the challenge of unquestioning obedience. That challenge is seen in verse 7. Take a look. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Notice the phrase, the brook dried up. You might wonder, why did the brook dry up? And well, it tells you, you say, there's no rain. After two years of drought, even the best water tables are going to be compromised. But I still ask the question, why? You see, if God could provide food with Black Raven Catering Service, could he not have provided water? Sure he could have. So what does it mean the brook dried up? Or why did the brook dry up? What's at play here? I suggest, and this is what we're going to talk about in the rest of the time this morning, sometimes God will cause the brook to dry up to get us from where we are to where we're supposed to be. For some of you right now, you need to really tune your ears because circumstantially, relationally, occupationally, the brook is drying up. And you can lament that or you can take that as a way whereby God might want to get you from where you are to where you're supposed to be. Here's the deal. For all that careth wasn't, and it wasn't the Ritz-Carlton, believe me. He was fed by the ravens morning and evening. It was still a place of refuge and provision. And here's what I've discovered. As challenging as it can be to live in Kareth, you can stall out there. You can find yourself, see, human beings are very adaptable. And you can find yourself adapting to not having as much, to living on a smaller income, to not having this and not having that, and you can find yourself getting lazy at Kareth. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We justify our lack of forward progress by saying, well, I'm not ready yet. The right circumstances haven't happened yet. There's always a reason why we shouldn't move on and move out. But Kareth, if we're not careful, turns not from a staging ground for our future, a launch pad, but as a place where we stall out. There are young people, and they're still at home, deep in their 20s. Why? Well, the right circumstances haven't turned up yet. The right situation hasn't been seen yet. Kareth was a place of great provision by their parents, great preparation by their parents, but they're stalled out. You perhaps have seen those who were chronically unemployed, and I know that there are all kinds of situations, but I have seen all too many who, because they don't get the perfect job, don't look for any job. And they find themselves being taken care of, living on less, but being quite content in Kareth. I've seen circumstances where people who relationally, the creek dries up, 
and they lose their most cherished relationship, a husband, a wife, a best friend. And yet, because they can't have that relationship, they back off from any relationships, and they stall out. You've got to be careful that what God meant to be a staging area, a place of short-term provision and preparation, becomes something else. This, I think, is what might have happened to Elijah. It says here in verse 7, Sometime later the brook dried up, there had been no rain in the land, and the Lord came to him, verse 8, and said, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Here's the interesting thing. He's now been told to leave Kareth and go to Zarephath. But sometimes what God calls us to is a challenge to obey and quite hard to understand. God is now going to ask you to move on. He's going to ask you to start over. And you're going to find yourself thinking, this is hard. This is confusing. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Elijah faced this in multiple ways. First of all, he was called to follow in a logical path. In a logical path. Looking back at the map, take a look at this. He's gone from Tishbe to Samaria, where he confronted Ahab, down to Kareth for two years. Now he's being sent all the way up to Zarephath. Eventually, as we'll see next week, he's going to get to Mount Carmel. And he'll have that great encounter on Mount Carmel between Ahab, the battle of the gods. That's next week. But notice how convoluted the path was. Friends, I have found that more times than not, to get you from where you are to where you're ultimately to be is not a straight path. And you're going to find yourself being asked to go to what appears to be an illogical place. How am I going to get there if I have to go there, then here, and here? But God has a plan. God has a purpose. Zarephath was over 100 miles away. The showdown's going to take place, but not yet. Have you discovered in your life that many times in order for God to get you from here to where he wants you to ultimately be is confusing? Don't you wish that God would just explain himself to you? There are times when God has asked me to go from here to there and whatever. I think, I am really open to obey. I I really am. I only ask you to explain yourself. And I stop and think about it. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Here is almighty God and my little pea brain. And God's up there going, Okay, let me explain to you how all this is going to work together with all these people, all these circumstances, and you're really going to understand that. Yes, I will. And God says, no, you won't. He says, in fact, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are above your thoughts and my ways are above your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. Translation, you wouldn't be able to understand it if you tried to explain it. So just obey. And sometimes to obey means to take the next step. The next step. It says in Scripture, the steps of a man, the steps of a woman are ordained by the Lord. It's taking a step. Many times you've got to take a step before he shows you the direction for the second step and the third step. And if you don't take the first step of obedience, you'll never get 
to the final step. Pastor Dave will return in just a moment with the rest of today's teaching. But if you're enjoying The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review. Those two things really do help us to get found by more people. Now, before we get back to the message, I want to take just a moment and talk to you pastors. Speaking from personal experience, I know that the challenges pastors face are unique. Seminary may train you theologically, but rarely does it prepare you for the practical, everyday realities of being a pastor. But what if you could sit down with someone who's been there? What if you could get coaching from someone who's got years of experience growing and leading a church? Such wisdom and insight could be invaluable. Well, Dave DeSell Ministries offers coaching for pastors and ministry leaders, both individually and in a small group setting, focusing on the pastor as disciple and disciple maker, as well as just the leadership issues that everyday pastors face. These groups provide not only a mentor to guide you, but a bond of relationship with other leaders. You can learn more about the coaching opportunities at davedesellministries.org. Now, let's get back to today's teaching. In a logical path to next in a logical place. In a logical place. Looking back at our map, we can see Zarephath. See it up there at the top? The little word there, the city on the coast, just north of that, is Sidon. In fact, Zarephath is not even in Israel. It's in the region of Sidon. Does anybody happen to remember who's from Sidon? Jezebel, the wicked queen of the West. He's being asked to go into the lion's den. In fact, there are some Bible commentators that would go so far as to say Zarephath was her hometown. What in the world is God doing here? It seems so illogical. What kingdom purpose could be accomplished by going there? And yet that's what God commands him. Have you ever done this? You're trying to live your life and you start assuming certain things. You say, in effect, well, I know you're not going to send me there. Ever been surprised by God? And that's exactly where he sends you? You know, I know that I'm not... That, I could never do that. I would never want to go there. That could never be part of your plan. And yet how many times has God said, that's exactly part of my plan? Because you see, I want to show you some things and I want to do some things in you. The word Zarephath, the name of the town, literally means a refining place. It was a place apparently where metal was smelted or refined. And could it be that God again had to do something in Elijah, in Zarephath? What might it have been? A couple thoughts. As we'll see next week, he is boldly going to condemn Baal worship. But I wonder if perhaps God wanted to soften his heart to realize, you know what? There were some people who were engaged in practices that are wrong, but make sure you don't stop loving the person. Make sure you do not stop treating the person with grace. The widow of Zarephath was probably a Baal worshiper. She was doing the wrong things. She was worshiping the wrong God. And yet God said, I want you to encounter her and to extend grace to her. 
because I want to do something in her. And I wonder also if something happened in him. And he realized that he may hate certain practices, but is it right to hate people? And so we see a picture here of him going up there, but also this was a widow. He's got to confront Ahab. He's going to have this big showdown, and God says, you know what, I may one day call you to do big things, but don't forget the value of small things. Just go love on this widow. Go love on this widow. And in so doing, he went to an illogical person, an illogical person. Verses 10 to 12, so he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. For widows in the ancient world, life was hard. Typically, if there was any inheritance, it went to the firstborn son. He had no compulsion, no ne- he didn't have to help his mother at all especially if that wasn't his natural mother. Widows were among the vulnerable trio of aliens and orphans. Aliens, orphans, and widows. And this was a poor widow. In light of the drought, these were difficult days. Continuing on, verse 11, or 12 that is. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Notice it's the Lord your God. She's not a believer in Jehovah here. She's a Baal worshiper. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and for your son. It's interesting. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath and a widow's going to take care of you. Elijah might have thought, this is totally illogical. How can she help me? She can't even help herself. See, there's a test of first impressions when you go to people. She can't do anything for me. He can't do anything for me. And you find yourself quickly dismissing people as having any role to play. You ever do this? You dismiss people out of hand because of how they look or what kind of income they might have, instead of realizing, you know what, I could learn something here from them. They may, in fact, enrich my life more than I ever dreamed. It's striking. Verse 13, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. It's an amazing thing here. They're learning something. Elijah's learning something. As I give what I can, as she gives what she can, God does the rest. Refining's taking place. I'm now recognizing that part of the walk of faith is to myself and challenging others, give what you have, not what you don't have. 
partner with God and watch what he might do. He's growing in his faith. Did it take? Look what happens next. Verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing the death of her son? He stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And the woman said, now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Notice a change in her. It's not just your God. Now I've found truth. He's my God. What an amazing thing happened in such a small little situation. Let's have the showdown. God says, no, you've got a date in Zarephath with a widow whose life I want to change. But it's going to be because you don't let first impressions go to your head. So how do we summarize this? Three thoughts, and then we're done. First of all, God's plan is often surprising. Don't quickly dismiss it. What's what's my next step? You need to go to this person. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to shake the bush about it guarding a job. You need to, what might it be? That doesn't make sense. Well, pray about it. Talk with wise people about it. See if maybe, just maybe, it's the right step for you. Second, God's promises hinge on obedience. Don't carelessly forget it. God has asked some of you to take the next step. You know he has. And I'm not talking about quitting your job necessarily. It may be your relational world, your emotional world, your spiritual world. He's saying, take this step. And because you haven't, you think, what's my next step? Can I bypass this one? And I think many times the Lord says, until you take the next step, you won't be given direction for the next step. Before you, unless you repent of this activity, don't ask me to come and show myself strong. I can't bless you. Unless you stop disobeying here, I can't do what I might have done. You've got to take the next right step before the next one is revealed. And finally, God's provision requires our partnership. Don't foolishly omit it. The great illustration here is of provision. Notice what the woman did. With what little she had, She partnered with God's purposes, and he multiplied. The Bible calls it the principle of increase or the principle of tithing. What do I do? Well, God says, you partner with me. Read Malachi chapter 3. You partner with me, and watch what I can do. See if I do not do amazing things, but it's going to be because you chose to partner with me before you saw the increase. You did it because I asked you to do it. 
The principles of Zarephath are remarkable to my way of thinking. Next week, the battle of the gods. But it never would have happened if he hadn't first made the illogical trip to the illogical person to fulfill an illogical purpose up in Zarephath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think of those in this room who've stalled out at Kareth. They find themselves quite comfortable being taken care of, being pitied, letting others meet their needs. Perhaps the whisper of the Spirit to them is, it's time to go. It's time to move. The brook's going to dry up. Take the next right step. I pray, Lord, for those who find themselves longing to take that step but are confused, if not fearful. It seems pretty illogical. Go there. Talk with them. Do that. Give us insight and wisdom to not trust in our own understanding, but in what your spirit might be whispering and what's verified by other godly men and women who can say in effect, I can see you doing that. I could see you going there. I could. I pray you'd be patient with us, Lord. We, uh, we're slow. We're pretty arrogant. We demand to understand. But call us to a walk of faith, step at a time. And as that happens, I pray that our destinies will not fold up, but unfold. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to the Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.